Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible, you can go ahead and do so. If you didn't bring it with you again today, no worries, because you're at home and you can easily grab your Bible. Uh, but we will be putting the passage up on screen, and so it will be easier for you to follow along with. But I've titled this message today very simply, Listen Up, because I absolutely believe that God is speaking to us loud and clear in the middle of this very chaotic season that we're in right now. Uh, and this entire passage we're about to look into is going to be all about the difference between hearing the Word of God and then listening in such a way that leads to understanding. And so what we're saying here is there is a big difference between hearing the Word of God and listening in such a way that leads to understanding, leads to repentance, and leads to real change in your life. Um, I think I've told you this many, many times before. I happen to be one of these people that have a hard time hearing in, in larger crowds. I have a hard time discerning accents and understanding what's going on right there. And so I know how I know the difference between hearing and understanding. Uh, I think I've told you this, this story before, but about 12 years ago, Kat and I went on this dream vacation to Sydney, Australia. Some friends of ours moved out there to do a little uh, stint with KPMG. And so we kind of had the, the vacation of a lifetime visiting them. But on Sunday, one of, these, one of these days, we went out to go to church with them. And I had a great time at their little church right there on the beach. And it was during the meet and greet time of this, uh, of this service. I, like all week long, I was butchering conversations left and right, just having a hard time with these accents. But we're in the middle of this meet and greet time, and the pastor invites everybody to stand up and greet the people that you're going to be worshiping with that day. And so I stood up. I love this time, happen to be an extrovert and love people, so I love getting to know new people. But I turn to the people that are next to us, and uh, we start saying, hey, good to see you. And this lady turns, and she, and she looks at me, and she's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Are you a visitor? And for the life of me, church, like, I could not understand what she said. I thought she said, for the, are you a physicist? I have no idea why she would say that, but I could have sworn that's what she, are you a physicist? And I looked at her so confused, and I was like, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm not a physicist. Are, are you a physicist? And she looked at me back. She's like, no, I'm not a physicist. Are, are you a physicist? And I'm like, no, neither of us are physicists. And I'm not, I'm not kidding, like Kat and my friends that we were with, like, they start dying laughing because that's probably like the 10th time that's happened to me all week long. But they're dying laughing. And they're like, Aaron, she didn't ask if you were a physicist. She asked if you were a visitor. And so the people that we're talking to, they're dying laughing. Everybody's making fun of me, having a good old time. Uh, funny story, we're back on the beach a little bit later that day. And we happen to pass up this, the exact same couple. And they're like, hey, it's you, not the physicist, Right. And uh, they're just having a good time with that one. But I think we get the point, like there's a major difference between hearing things and then listening in such a way that leads to understanding. And that's my hope for us today, that you and I would listen up today, that we would incline our ears to what God may be saying to us right now in the middle of this incredibly difficult and chaotic season. And so one of the things that I like to do when I'm having a hard time hearing, maybe it's in crowds or at a restaurant or something like that, Many times, even now, like when we're wearing masks and you can't read lips or you can't even understand, one of the things I like to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to lean in. I'm going to turn a little bit more and I'm going to lean in like that. I'm going to, I'm going to direct my ear to the voice of the person who's speaking so that I can understand just a little bit better. And that's what's behind the message today, that you and I would listen up, that we would incline our ears to the word of the Lord in the middle of this difficult season, knowing that God speaks loud and clear when we were in the middle of these storms, that it would be a if we went through everything that we're going through today and we didn't hear what God is saying to you and to me. 
And so again, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew 13 today. Uh, this is an entire parable that's going to be all about listening and listening well, um, as I said before. If you're not familiar with this part of the story, we're about a year and a half into the public ministry of Jesus at this point in time. There are large mixed crowds that are beginning to follow him. And so Jesus has started teaching largely in parables, which is very effective for mixed crowds because they allow people who are spiritually enlightened to understand some things, while people who may be hostile to the gospel, uh, they're more curious about about some different things with he's saying right there um, instead of, uh, or they're getting curious rather than hostile about it. And so he's speaking in parables. They're largely everyday stories in or, that communicate spiritual realities. And this is going to be one of most, his most famous ones. It's going to be affectionately called the parable of all parables, the parable of parables, because that's what this is. This is a parable within a parable about why Jesus speaks in parables and why listening can be such a problem for so many of us today. And so here's what it says beginning in verse 1. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood around on the shore. Then he told him many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and they choked out the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear and let them listen. At this point, the disciples are paying attention a little bit, and they come to Jesus, and they say, okay, Jesus, verse 10, why are you speaking to us in parables? And I don't know if you're asking that exact same question, but um, I happen to be that personality type that's kind of going, can you, just, can you just get straight to the point? Can you just tell me what you mean? Can you just say what you're trying to say? I had a counselor like this back in the day. We'd be sitting in there, and he'd always speak to me in riddles and in different stories, and I'm like, can you just spit it out and just tell me what I need to do? Tell me what I need to change. It's exactly the questions that they have for Jesus. So Jesus comes back. And in verse 11, he essentially says this. He says, the reason that I'm speaking to you in parables is because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but they've not been given to other people. In other words, you have understanding here that other people don't have understanding in. And so it's still not exactly clear, but essentially what he's saying is the reason that I'm speaking to you in parables is because it has a lot to do with the fact that spiritual understanding is a gift that is received from the Holy Spirit. Like that's what he's saying in verse, uh, that's what he's saying in verse 11. The secrets of the kingdom, they've been given to you, but not been given to other people. In other words, spiritual understanding is not a natural pursuit. It's not something that you can find in your own strength. It's not something you can just pick up a book and learn on your own accord. Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no one can say the words, Jesus is Lord. No one can say the words, Jesus is Lord, and actually believe it apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, like you could be the smartest person on the planet, but you could be completely blind to the spiritual realities that are in front of your face every single day. Um, we see this in the natural realm all the, all the time, by the way. Um, if you've ever noticed how incredibly smart and articulate and sophisticated people can be incredibly blind when it comes to things like politics or sports, all right, you see this play out all the time. It's why uh, you've never heard an Aggie say anything positive about a longhorn right? Like there, there, there's nothing redemptive about longhorns in the mind of an Aggie. In the same way, vice, the, the exact opposite is true too. Like there's nothing redemptive about an Aggie in the mind of a longhorn. We don't, we don't value them whatsoever. In fact, back when I was in College Station uh, going to school, uh, there, was a, there, was a, um, there was a law in the city where, where, where local businesses could not paint their buildings orange, right? So we had a Home Depot there, and I'm not kidding, it was, it was maroon, 
right? A maroon Home Depot because it was against the light. That's how little we thought of the Longhorns right there. But it's the same thing when it comes to politics, right? It's like, when was the last time you heard a Democrat say, hey, great idea, Mr. President? Like, that's never, ever, ever happened. Or vice versa, right? Like, when was the last time you heard a Republican be like, never thought about it like that, Democrat. I never thought about that, right? It's just not how you're raised. Like, that kind of thing never, ever, ever happens. But here's my point in saying all this. There are some things that get built up inside of our hearts that keep us from seeing what is actually, what is actually true in the moment. And so, yeah, like we need the Holy Spirit to come in and to help us understand because apart from that help, we're not going to be able to see the pride or the greed or the racial bias or the resentment or the addictions or whatever it is inside of my soul that needs to be rooted out. And so the first point that he's making right here is, is if you want to have spiritual understanding, you've got to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and you've got to be inclined to listen to him. Okay, and so he continues on in verse 12, and he begins explaining a little bit more. He says this, he says, whoever has will be given more. In other words, whoever has understanding, whoever has not things, but whoever has understanding will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them. In other words, like your ability to listen well will determine how much understanding you actually have. In other words, you want to be wise. You want to walk in, the, in wisdom in the ways of the Lord. Uh, it, it all depends upon your ability ability to listen well and to receive the things that God is trying to say in the moment he's trying to say it. Verse 13, he continues and he says, this is why I speak to you in parables. He kind of clarifies it one more time. He says this, though seeing, the people do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He's quoting Isaiah right here. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but you're never going to be perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And so the good news in this entire parable is like there is healing in repentance. That's what he's saying. Like there's healing for you. There's healing, there, there, there's healing for the, the heart of hearing, the heart of understanding, and is found in repentance. But the difficulty is that the willingness to repent depends entirely upon the readiness of your heart. I love the way that British theologian Adam Clark, he puts it like this. He says, the same sun that hardens the clay, it softens the wax. I'm going to say that again. The same sun that hardens the clay, it softens the wax. In other words, like two people can hear the exact same message about Jesus, and one person is going to be hardened like the clay, and the other person is going to be softened like wax. Two people are going to hear the exact same message, and one person is going to hear physicist, and the other person is going to hear visitor. That's what he's saying. Like the two people, the exact same thing. One's going to be hardened like clay and the other's going to be softened like wax. And it's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. Some people who have quality hearts that are ready and willing to receive from the Lord, uh, they're going to receive more and more and more. Other people are already callous and they are hardened to the things of God. And everything that I say to them is just going to bounce right off of here and it's never going to be received. And so Jesus explains this parable a little bit more because they come to him. The disciples are saying, okay, Jesus, you're going to need to help us understand what you actually mean by this. Even though they're spiritually enlightened, they still don't fully understand the whole meaning of this thing. And so Jesus gets into an explanation here and he explains it for the purpose of the hearer being able to understand the different camps that he's talking about here and to be able to say, okay, which camp do I find myself in today? God, what are you trying to speak to me today? What do I need to repent of today? And so he explains it here in verse 18, and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that's sown along the path. And so the first one, the, the first image that he's giving us is a seed that doesn't even make it to the soil. And so we're just going to call this the hard heart because basically this is a person who's not even remotely interested in the things of God. Like they may go to church, they may show up and listen every now and then, but really they're doing it to appease somebody else that they love. They really have very little interest in the things of God. And what ends up happening is as soon as the word of God is spread and as, as soon as it breaches right here and it gets to the edge of the heart, the enemy is going to come in and he's going to snatch whatever was sown and immediately take it away. Uh, and they're going to fill that person's mind with doubt or distractions, all kinds of questions. Okay, like what are we going to be having for lunch today? Um, why isn't Chick-fil-A open on a Sunday? Uh, what, here's the friend or the spouse that really needs to be hearing this message today. Not me. This is who they really need to be talking to over here. Is college football season going to happen this year or not? Or a million other distractions that are going to come and, and come and flood your heart to keep you from receiving whatever God may have for you today. I'll never forget um, back when we were doing Revive Indiana a number of years ago, I had this incredible encounter with this family, but we, we group up in teams of four. I've talked about this a number of times in the past, but we were engaging with this man on his front yard at his home, and uh, we immediately talked, and it didn't seem like he was very interested in talking very much immediately, but we kept talking, having a good conversation, and then uh, all of a sudden, it just seemed like he started to break through, and he began to soften just a bit, and I'm not kidding you. As soon as he softened just one bit, like there was just a, a barrage of distractions that came our way. Immediately, the kids bust out of the front door. They come running down the front yard, and they're like, Daddy, 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 can we do this? Can we do that? And like, I mean, immediately, he, just, he kind of bows up. He does his own thing. And then the kids run back into the house, and as soon as they run back into the house, there's this truck that peels down the street, and they're screaming racial, uh, they're scree screaming racial obscenities at us uh, due to some people on our team. And they start going crazy right there. And like that brings a massive distraction. A little bit later, we continue in the conversation and there's either a backfire or a gunshot that's taken place in the distance. Kind of scares every single one of us. But I'm not kidding you, church. Like as soon as the guard was down and as soon as it seemed like the word of God began to penetrate that man's heart, the enemy just came in with distraction after distraction after distraction so that he would not receive what God was trying to sow that day. But church, like that's what he does. As soon as there is interest, he goes to work doing whatever it takes to keep you from receiving the word. And for a lot of you that are watching today, it's exactly what's going to be happening today. Like the kids are going to get really, really loud right? The phone's going to start ringing off the hook. Like there's going to be a lot of things that are going on trying to grab your attention. Meanwhile, God is going to be speaking to you loud and clear saying, it's time for you to listen up because there is healing for you today and repentance. Like there is forgiveness for you today and repentance. There is cleansing of your sins today and repentance. There is hope for you today and repentance. God in his infinite love still loved you even in the middle of the hardness of your heart, so much so that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live the sinless life you could not live and to die the sinner's death. You and I were supposed to die so that any and all who would come to him in genuine faith and repentance may have life now and for all of eternity. And as soon as you begin to receive that word, the enemy is going to come in with distraction after distraction after distraction. But what you need to hold on to today is that there is healing for you today in repentance. And if you hear the voice of the Lord, you can respond to him and say, Father, that is me. I have been that hardened heart. I have been that one where you've spoken over and over again. It has bounced off over and over. I, I, I have not wanted to hear it. I've not wanted to receive anything. I am that hardened heart. But God, I'm listening to you right now. So would you come and would you soften my heart 
heart all the more so that I can receive the things that you're calling me into today. I love the way um, Sir Thomas Fuller puts it, says it like this. He says, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. You cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. And that's the hope for the hard-hearted that are here today. As long as you have breath to repent, it is not yet too late. And so he who has ears to hear, you're hearing it for a moment, sift through the hardness of heart, sift through all the distractions, what the enemy's trying to do, and come to him and confess it and say, Father, would you come and have your way in me? He continues on in these next few verses. In verse 20, he says, The seed that's falling on rocky ground, it refers to someone who hears the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they had no root, it only lasts for a short amount of time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And so now we're going to get into some people who at least seem like they have a little bit of interest in the word of God, right? Uh, we're just going to call this one the shallow heart. And it's the shallow heart because it's the person that has a lot of joy. There's a lot of emotion, but they have no roots that are there in their life. And so when difficulty comes, they immediately drift away. Um, Jesus is going to say, this is the person who hears the word. They're immediately moved with joy. They may even make, respond to an altar call. Uh, they may even make a hundred commitments. So this is, uh, God, this is never going to happen again in my life, right? I'm all yours. I promise you, like this is the time. They may even make a number of different commitments, but here it is. As soon as difficulty comes, as soon as temptation comes, as soon as we get back to the norms of life, they quickly fall away. Church, this is the thing that you're going to see a lot in youth ministry or youth camps or retreats or something like that. Kids, we go away. Uh, we get on a high. We're with other friends. We're sleep deprived. There's a lot of great worship going on. There's great preaching. And so like everybody comes and, and there's this dynamic that takes place where everybody responds at the same time and we make all these promises to God. And then we get back home and nothing seems to stay. Uh, no, nothing seems to be real. Uh, I'll never forget back in high school, I was a believer at this point in time, but all my friends, they went away. There was this youth group doing this big retreat, and they all happened to go. That's where the cheerleaders were going, by the way. And so, like, everybody went on this retreat this weekend, and they come back, and, like, literally everyone is saved. They got the Jesus t-shirts on. They got the wristbands on. I mean, everybody's high on Jesus come Monday morning. And I'm not kidding you. Like, that lasted one week. We get back the very next week, and the conversations were exactly what they were before. The parties were exactly what they were before. And I remember being so confused by this. So I grabbed one of my buddies and I was like, okay, you got to explain to me what happened. Because I thought revival happened around our high school, but I'm not seeing it. Like one week later, it's all gone. And so I asked him, I was like, what happened on that retreat? And I loved his honesty. He just looked at me and he's like, you know what? Uh, I really think we just all kind of got caught up in the emotion of everything. And for a lot of us, church, like, like, that's how we respond to the word of God. Like, there's a lot of emotion. And there's a lot of joy in the very beginning, but you never took time to grow any roots. And the reason you didn't grow any roots is because, truth be told, it was really never about Jesus in the first place. Like, it was really all about you and how you felt in the moment, or the hype of the moment, or really the approval that you might gain from other people, maybe the cheerleaders, maybe the popular kids, maybe these people that you wanted acceptance from. It was really about the approval that you would gain from other people more so than anything that, than anything that had to do with Jesus. It's why many of us happened to thrive in youth group, and we walked away when we got to college. We grew up in the church. We had an incredible youth group. And the thing that I really, 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 really wanted deep down inside was a great group of friends to hang out with and safety and comfort and a lot of fun and, and to do the good thing. 
But then all of a sudden you get away to college and you realize, hey, this isn't really the real world. Not everybody believes what I believe. And I've got professors that are openly antagonistic to my faith and they're challenging me. And then all of a sudden it gets difficult and you realize, hey, the things that I really wanted, they're not here anymore because my youth group is gone. And so I quickly drift away. And I want to be really careful about this because we're, like, this isn't something that's just unique to youth and to students. Like, this is something that, that is plaguing the church, even young families around here today. I was reading an article by Barna a little while ago. They were talking about trends in the American church. And they're saying this is the thing that these are the people that we're seeing come back to the church overwhelmingly today. It's the people that had some sort of an experience when they were young. Maybe they grew up in church. They responded to an altar call. They probably had the youth group experience, but they did exactly that. They get, went off to college and they walked away. Things got difficult. 60% of these students who, who, who have faith in high school, they walk away from it in college. And then college graduation takes place. They get the job and they do the young adult singles thing for a little while. And they say, hey, this is my last, last chance to party and have a little bit of fun before I, before I give it all up and get married, right? They do that until the early 30s now. And then they make the commitment and they get married. And then when kids come along the way, somewhere around the mid-30s, something like that, that's when they start to walk back into the church. But you know why they're coming back to the church? It's because they want their children to have a little bit of morality. They understand that this is a good place to find community. We like to have friends. We like to have the same reasons as a youth group that we're doing when we're in our mid-30s and our mid-40s and we're coming back to the church for the very first time. But overwhelmingly, church, what we're seeing is there's a lot that, comes on, that takes place inside of our church that doesn't have anything to do with him. And some of you are listening to that today and you're saying, like, that is, that is me. That is my story right here. And what Jesus is saying, if that's you, then it's time for you to listen up. Like there's a word that I have for you today. Jesus is saying, I want you to pay attention here and not be despairing because there is, there is healing and repentance for you today. The word that he has for you today is like without roots, like your faith is dead. You have to understand that. If you have no roots, everything that you're holding on to is just a mirage. It's tradition, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's fancy tales and things like that. It's about a hundred other really good things that have to do with the church, none of which are the main thing. And so if that's you, church, like the good news is, again, there's healing for you today in repentance. Like we can come before the Lord and we can say, Father, that is absolutely me. I am that shallow heart. I'm exactly what Barna's describing right here. I'm the one that gets caught up in emotionalism. I'm the one that gets caught up in the wave of the crowd and whatever other people need. I'm the one that's clinging to the faith of everyone else because I don't know how to walk in it with you right now. And, and we can come before him and we can say, Father, that is me. I'm hearing you loud and clear. I am that shallow heart. God, I don't want to be that shallow heart. Father, would you do a work in me that grows up deep and strong roots so that I'll never drift away again? I found this picture this past week. Caleb and I were walking through the neighborhood uh, like we do so many times. It's getting a little bit too hot for that now, but nevertheless, we were walking through, and I love this picture of the tree that we found. Uh, but we came across this, and uh, Caleb was fascinated by it, and um, and he was just kind of amazed at how strong, how giant this oak tree was and how strong the roots were that they could just break through the concrete. But I wanted to take a picture of it because it reminded me of the power of strong roots to essentially break through the concrete slab of difficulty that we may be experiencing today. And so we're looking at this thing, and I'm, of course, I'm processing my sermon like always and stuff, and poor kid, he's a pastor's kid, and so he's going to get my sermon, and times he's, he doesn't really want it or anything like that, but we just had this moment where I just started talking to him, and, and uh, kind of a teachable moment, and I'm like, Caleb, I want you to look at this tree, because like what you're seeing right here, like that's what listening to the Word of God over the course of your life will do. It'll develop in you big, giant, strong roots 
that are able to overcome the storms of life. Remember when that tornado came through? The tornado had nothing to do with this tree. It could not touch this tree. Why? Because the roots were so incredibly strong. And we had this conversation and reminded him of my Caleb. That giant tree started with a tiny acorn one time. And that acorn was buried into the ground. And as it, was feed, as it fed on the water of life, and as it fed on the ground's nutrients, it, roots began to grow in that acorn. And it became this mighty oak tree that you see today in church. Like that's what he wants to do in you and me. He doesn't want emotionalism. He doesn't want you to be clinging to everyone else's faith. He doesn't want you to have a superstitious kind of a faith. He wants you to have a faith that is deeply rooted in him and for roots to grow in you that are strong enough to sustain you day after day after day and to bring you daily through the terrors of the pandemic that we're in today so that you don't cling to everyone else's faith in a live gathering, that even though you may be home alone, and even though things may be really, really difficult for you right now, like your faith could actually be flourishing because your roots are so strong. And so church, like that's it. Like there's hope for you today. There's healing for you today and repentance. And some of you are going to go in, like that's not me. I've never had roots. I've never had roots. I've been that Christian that comes and goes, does my own thing. And honestly, like my faith is tossed back and forth, left and right. And if that's you, you can come to him and say, God, I don't want that anymore. Father, would you do this work in me that produces deep, lasting roots that will glorify you for a lifetime? And so that's the word for you today. He continues in verse 22 with one more. And he says this, he says, the seed that is falling among the thorns, it refers to someone who hears the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke the word, making it unfruitful. I'm just going to call this one the divided heart because it seems like this one actually has some words, some roots to this. They have some sort of interest in God. They have affection. They have roots that are there. But the problem with this heart is that it is divided. It is being choked out by the thorns of life. It's the person who may honestly love Jesus. They want to follow him, uh, but they're way too worried about the things of this world. Things like keeping up with the Joneses or how to increase uh, my standard of living or soccer games or entertainment or how we're going to pay for the next dream vacation. Jesus is going to say that this person's been carried away by the deceitfulness of wealth. In other words, like they functionally don't believe that they really need anything else from God because they've taken care of it, taking care of it themselves. And the problem with this kind of a life, even though you have the great house, you have the health, you have the success, you have the family, you have everything that Americans and people in the world have ever wanted, the problem with this kind of life is that it does not bear any spiritual fruit. Uh, I'll never forget uh, growing up in Florida as a kid. I was born in Florida, quickly moved to Texas uh, my first year, but we would always go back and go visit Florida to go see the extended family. And I loved visiting the state of Florida because... um, and they had the best citrus in the world. And so we would go back there and we would drive through and we'd always stop at different places and we'd pick the greatest oranges I've ever had in my life. Like you don't get that kind of citrus here, but um, just incredible oranges. And I remember we'd go everywhere and we'd see them growing on trees and we'd pick them and neighbors had them and everything. We'd just pick them and eat them right then and there. And they were absolutely delicious. But I remember going to grandma's house and always being so disappointed because she had these trees in her yard, but like for some reason or another, they, they never produced any fruit. And I remember going up to this orange tree, and I'm like, there are these green kind of wrinkled old things that were growing. Like, it was not an orange. But I remember looking at this tree, and I'm like, what's the point of this tree? Like, what's the point of this tree? The whole point of this tree is to produce oranges. The whole point of this tree is to bear fruit. 
And church, it's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. The whole point of what I've done for you is that you're going to bear fruit all for the praise and for the glory of my name. Paul's going to say it in, uh, Paul's going to say the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. He's going to say, uh, we are his workmanship, church, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. And so don't be confused. Yes, salvation, he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, salvation is a gift of God's grace, meaning it's undeserved favor that it's received through faith right? It's not given to everybody. It's received through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that no man should be able to boast. That's what he says. So salvation is a gift of God's grace. It's received through faith. Nevertheless, we are his workmanship in the very next verse, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works, which he's already prepared in advance for us to do. And what Jesus is saying right here, church, is that a divided heart, a heart that is being choked out by the thorns of life, a a heart that is being choked out by the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth and sin and addiction and things like that, it kills your ability to do the things that you were created to do. I love the way um, Tim Keller talks about this. I think I've shared this one before, but... He talks about the number of college students that he talks to all the time. And they went through that same story that I talked about earlier. They grew up in the church. They had the youth group thing, a vibrant faith. They get off to college and then boom, they want to walk away. But he says, I talk to these students all the time. And they come into my office and they say, okay, Dr. Keller, like I, I used to be walking with the Lord, but like I'm not really feeling it anymore with Jesus. I don't know what's going on. It feels like he's really, really far from me. And so he goes, I always tell them the same thing. I, I listen for a long time. I just let them share their heart. But eventually I turn around the conversation and I'm always asking this question, who have you started sleeping with? And immediately, as soon as he, he goes, as soon as I share that question or ask that question, they kind of jump back and they're offended at first. They're going, how in the world would you, why would you ask me that? But then 99% of the time, there's always a response. And he goes on to explain the reason. He says it's because a divided heart, it is always, always, always going to lead to a divided and fruitless faith. And church, maybe some of you are listening to that today and you're kind of going, you know what? That explains a lot of my story. Like, maybe, that's, maybe that's something that you've noticed in your own crisis of faith. Maybe you had one in the past. Maybe you are there right now, a crisis of faith. And what's happening in your mind is you thought it was an intellectual problem. You thought it was, hey, you know what? I can't really reconcile the problem of evil, the problem of hell, science and faith, these kinds of things. And may I, like, you thought that that was the problem. Or maybe it was a church problem. The church is a hip- hypocritical. People are hypocritical. There was church hurt in the past. And maybe you thought it was something like that. And what, and what Jesus is saying right here is like, no, 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 no. He's like, that's what thorns do. That's what thorns do. Like they choke out life. And you thought it was about all these other kinds of things, and you thought it had nothing to do uh, with the things that were going on in your life, but you're you're noticing right now that the crisis of faith in your life, it happened to correspond with that affair that you started way back in the day, or it corresponded with the secret lifestyle that was going on that you never told a soul about in the church, or the addiction that still got you captive, or the lies that you were telling for years, or the cheating that actually became normative at work so that you could get ahead. And all the while, like, you assumed it was about a hundred other things, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Like, this is what thorns do. They choke out life. As long as you've got roots in the ground and you're entertaining the thorns in your life, they will choke you out. They will suffocate the joy in your life. They will kill your ability to bear fruit in life. And it's exactly what he's saying right here. As long as these thorns are around, they will always, always, always lead to a fruitless life. You won't be growing in things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You're going to be the father that's at home and you go to church and you're saying, I want to love the Lord, but for some reason or another, like I'm always angry when I'm at home and my wife is getting it. My kids are getting it. The people that I'm living with, like everybody's getting it at home and, and, and you won't be able to grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Like you won't be leading other people to faith. 
You won't be encouraging other people, helping anyone grow into maturity. Why? Because the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, they have choked out the beauty of God's word and they've made you fruitless. But church, the, the hope of this passage right here is that there is, there is healing for you today in repentance. Like that's the whole point of this whole story. Like there is healing for you today with repentance. And so if you are hearing the voice of the Lord and you're recognizing, you're saying, hey, you know what? This is me. You can come before the Lord and you can acknowledge it before him and say, Father, like that is me. I am the divided heart. I have genuine roots that are in the ground. Like I love you and I want to be walking with you, but the reality is I've entertained these thorns in my life for way too long and I hear you today. And Father, I don't want these thorns to choke up my life. And so God, to the best of my ability, Father, would you come, would you soften my heart and would you set me free from these, lo- these thorns that are killing my life so that I can bear fruit and all for the praise and for the glory of your name. Church, the good news is like there is healing for you and repentance. There is life for you and repentance repentance. There's hope for you in repentance if you will come to him and you will hear the voice of the Lord and what he's saying to you today. Jesus continues on with one more here. And I'm simply just going to call it the good heart because it's the only way I can describe it in verse 23. But here's how he describes this when he says this, the seed that falls on good soil, it refers to someone who hears the word of God and understands it. In other words, church, it's, it's the people who listen up. It's the people who are, who are, who are turning their ear to the, to the voice of the Lord and saying, okay, Father, like I want to hear what you're saying every single day. Like I want to know, God, what are you saying to me today? Repentance isn't a one-time thing. Repentance isn't a two-time thing. Repentance is a daily thing. Father, what are you saying to me today? God, what are the inclinations that I need to turn from today in order to follow you well, all for the praise and for the glory of your, uh, of your name? Church, that's who this is. It's people who are listening up. They are inclined to the word of the Lord. It's people who at one point in their life, like they know what it was like to be hard-hearted. They know what it was like to have the shallow heart. They know what it's like to have a divided heart. They know how difficult, they know that it it ebbs and flows. There are times when my heart is hardened and I'm not receiving the things from the Lord. There are times that I feel like I'm I'm tossed back and forth in certain areas. There are times that you entertain certain thorns in your life. They know what that's like. But here's the difference, church. When they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and they're willing to listen to the word of God, they come in with an attitude of humility and they're willing to repent and they're willing to move on. And it says that they go on and they produce a crop that is yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. In other words, like they don't let apathy or emotionalism or the distractions of life steal what the Holy Spirit is scattered. Instead, they let it take root and they let the Holy Spirit do the things that he loves to do. I'll just tell you um, one of my favorite testimonies uh, to read about is the testimony of John Newton. He's the famous author uh, who wrote the lyrics to Amazing Grace. But I love his story. I've shared elements of it in the past, but not this part. But I I love this story because when God finally got John Newton's heart, uh, John was known as, he was a grown man at that time. He was known as a wealthy slave trader. He was also widely known as one of the most horrific sailors that was on the sea. And so the day that it all happened, uh, he was out to sea and uh, he was caught in the middle of a serious storm that lasted for 11 days. And so they're out there, and he's got slaves on the ship, and he's making his voyage across the ocean. And for 11 days in a row, it's just this horrific storm. And it's one of these storms that everybody that's on the boat, it's kind of a Jonah type of storm where everybody's thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. We're going to die. We're never going to survive this thing. And so in a moment of panic, John remembers this Bible that his mother had given him when he was a youth. And he opens it up and he turns to Proverbs chapter 1. He remembers wisdom. And so he's going to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And I want you to see what he reads that day. Here's what it says. 
How long, this is Proverbs chapter one, verse 22. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. This is wisdom saying, I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and you do not accept my rebuke, I will in turn laugh when disaster strikes you and I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Church, can you imagine what it would be like to be reading this passage in the middle of an 11-day storm when you think that your life is on the line? But that's what happens. And he's reading the word of God and he's saying, this is me. I have mocked at you. I've not listened to you. And so in the middle of this storm, what I love about what Newton does is he bows down and it's one of these desperate moves. And he says, Father, if you are really there, if this is true, God, I will give you my life if you give me mine. You let me survive this thing. I will give my entire life to you. And so it's exactly what takes place. God delivers them from the storm. They go to the land. He makes it safely to the land. And for the next year and a half, Newton starts burying uh, his face in the word of God. And he starts growing in the things that he gives his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it takes about a year and a half before the Holy Spirit comes in and breaks through the thorns that are in his life uh, and convicts him of the sin of the slave trade, which he was so, um, so heavy in at that time. Shortly after that, he repents of the slave trade. He gives up that life. He gives his entire life to the ministry. He starts doing crusades and evangelism and stuff like that. Shortly after that, he pens the lyrics to Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was hardened. I once was shallow in heart. I once was divided in heart. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind to those things, but now I see because God came in and he gave me that grace. Shortly after, he met a man named William Wilberforce and he started discipling him. They started growing together as leaders, and William Wilberforce would be used by God to be one of the main leaders in the abolition of slavery. But church, that's what I want you to see. This is the picture of a good heart that produces a crop of 30, 60, 100-fold what was sown there in the beginning. Church, it's people who are willing to listen up no matter how old they may be. It's people who are willing to listen up, even if they're in the middle of a ship, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a pandemic, when they're all alone. It's people that are willing to listen up and incline their heart to the word of the Lord. It's people who, who know what it's like to be hard-hearted when the word of God has been bouncing off their soul for years and years and years, or shallow in their convictions and have no roots to their life, or divided in their affections, right? And they got thorns that they're clinging to over and over again. It's people who know what that's like, but in the middle of that thing, they're willing to listen to the voice of the Lord, and they're willing to lay it all down and to come to him in repentance and say, Father, no more. I don't want to be that hardened heart. I don't want to be that thorny one. I don't want to be divided. I don't want to be shallow. I don't want any of these things. Father, would you come and produce your life in me? And then as people that go on, as the Holy Spirit begins to produce his life in you, and they go on and produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And church, like that's my hope for us today that he who has ears to hear, that you be willing to listen because I promise you, church, in the middle of this storm that we are in, in the middle of this pandemic, God is speaking to you loud and clear. He always is in the middle of a storm. He is always speaking to you in the middle of this thing and it would be a tragedy if we, were, if we went through this entire thing and we missed what he was trying to say to us because we couldn't understand his accent. And so, church, like that is my hope for us today, that we would be listening up, that no matter where you are today, that you'd listen to the voice of the God and that you would be honest about where your heart is right now and that you would be encouraged knowing that beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is healing and repentance for you today. 
So church, if you are hearing the word of the Lord today, I want to invite you to bow with me as we go before him right now. But Father, I just want to tell you, God, that we do love you and we do honor you and recognize that you're not a God who is far away and distant and unknowable and unspeaking. You're a God who is always speaking. Father, you are a God who has given us your authoritative word. We never have to wonder what you have to say because you've given it to us in your word. You've given us the indwelling Holy Spirit that can make it more specific and more applicable to the specific things in our daily life. And so, Father, I pray right now for whoever may be listening that you would uh, open up their heart right now and make it good soil, that your word would fall on good soil, that they would be able to listen to everything that you are saying to them today. Father, I want to specifically pray for the hard-hearted person. The person who's come in, and maybe the only reason they're listening is to appease someone that they love. But Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would break through those distractions right now, that they would recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are the King of all kings, you are the Lord of all lords, you are the God of the universe who has been wooing them into relationship with you. And Father, I pray right now that they would come to you in genuine faith, bowing on their knees, saying, you are God, I am not, and I'm surrendering my life to you. And church, if that is you today, if you are that hardened heart, God, would, would you listen to him right now? Would you soften their heart and give them the gift of faith? For the person who's the shallow heart and never had any roots, God, I pray that you would give them the conviction to press into you and that you, by your grace, would develop strong and lasting roots in their life that would sustain them, not only through this pandemic, but for the rest of their days. Father, I pray for the divided heart, the person who's clinging to thorns and won't let go. God, I pray that you would heal their wounds and I pray that you would set them free from the bondage that they are living in today. God, that they would not live in shame any longer, but Father, that they would be completely and totally set free in the name of Jesus Christ. God, that we would be a church that's full of good soil right now, listening to you every single day, willing to do whatever you call us into, God, all for the praise and for the glory of your name. Lord, we do love you. We praise you. We worship you this day. It's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray. Amen.